This podcast is sponsored by Dent Magic, your Bristol-based car body repair company. Visit us at Cripps Causeway or Central Bristol, or we can even come to you with our mobile service at your home or workplace. Have you got a scuff, scratch or dent on your vehicle? Dent Magic can fix them all. If you need the magic touch for your vehicle, visit www.dentmagic.net to get your quick quote online today. Hello and welcome to Three Peeps of the Podcast. My name is Patch and not with me today is Rich. Rich is usually with me on these episodes, but unfortunately he can't make it today. Um, about a week ago, I published on our social media over on Twitter at 3PIAPC um, that I was going to have a catch up with uh, someone I've known for quite some time, virtually all my life. I uh, went to the same primary school, was in some same football teams as my brother. Uh, and is a local lad from Longwell Green, where I grew up, that is now director of one of the most famous football academies in the world, quite frankly. Um, and the reaction to that was unbelievable. Uh, well, it, well, I'd say believable because because he's done so well. But um, so many people came out of, of the woodwork saying how lovely a chap he was and how well he's done. Um, and I don't want to make his face go too red. Because he's now looking at me, um, but I we were just just speaking before we hit record about when we last saw each other, and it's a good 20, 25 years when we shared a, a tutor group at the Grange School in Warmley. But uh, without further ado, Matt Hale, come in, sir. How are you? Very, very well. Thanks, Pat. Yeah, thanks for inviting me in, and um, look forward to catching up and the conversation. Yeah, no, yeah, thanks so much. Well. For, for joining us. Uh, quite a story. Um, so let's start right at the beginning. So born in 1979 and went to Longwell Green County Primary School, where I believe only two ex-professional footballers have come out of there. One of which is Joe Burnell, who um, is a, a very close friend of mine and sponsor of one of the other podcasts that I do. And the other is yourself. I don't know if of any others, do you? Oh, that's a good quiz question, that one. Um, <laughs> right in if you know the answer. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm not sure, Patch, but um, I, okay. I imagine you've got your facts and stats right. So oh, um, always, always. Yeah. But um, early memories of of going to Longwell Green Primary School, mate. Yeah, I mean it, it was a walk up the road from me. I was you know born and bred Longwell Green, so um, my parents are still there, and my sister still still living in in Longwell Green. So uh, it was easy walk to school um clearly the playground then was was football you didn't have ipads and and god knows iphones and everything else so before school lunchtime after school was with a tennis ball in the in the playground just typical you know lads and and you do that whichever spare moment you had at primary school and you know that was probably my strongest memories really and playing for the school football team um the likes of yourself your brother Julian and, and others and it was um yeah it was it was fond memories I don't keep in touch with too many from from primary school but it's still there and um yeah, yeah it's a good period of my life for sure still going strong uh, Mr Gardner obviously was the football team manager did he see uh did he see a future in football for you or no Mr Gardner did I mean I, I'm not sure if you know this and whether or not I'll bring it up quite yet but I actually married Mr Mayo's daughter I was going to get on to, did you yeah, have a favourite teacher? 
um, <laughs> see if there was any bias in that. But uh, yeah, no, that's and Mr. Mayor was always a big City fan um yeah. and a big supporter of football so yeah i mean i don't know how how that came about but obviously he wasn't drawing primary school <laughs> it, no it certainly wasn't no it certainly wasn't it, um i mean it was it was interesting because i was an apprentice at bristol city um i think it was 90 96 something like that, to 98 and um in those days it, it half time on the first team games you had to go down from from the uh the grandstand onto the pitch in and put the divots in. That, that was your job as an apprentice, and I'm not sure they do that now. But one one evening, I forget we, the first team were playing. I wandered down and got stopped by by Mr. Mayor, who, who he was then, and, and I think he's. Are we, allowed uh, to, are we allowed to call him Tim now or not? You can call him Tim now. Yeah, I, I still call him Mr. Mayor, but you can call him <laughs> Tim. <laughs> um, I was stopped, and, and alongside him was his daughter Polly, and I think probably two other sisters that she's got. And I, I was also sort of combining my apprenticeship with doing A-levels at the Grange School in Warmley. So I think the next week I'd, I'd had through a through a contact at the school, a friend at Polly, Mr. Moe's daughter, you know, would we like to go out for a drink? So I did. And that was, you know, we were both 16 and, and we're now in our early 40s, been together ever since. So, awesome. um, yeah, it's been, been a long time, but that's that's how that one came about. Interesting. Awesome. Yeah, what well, a great story! And uh, yeah. did you actually ever actually have Tim Mayo as a teacher? I did. My last two years in the primary school, um, I had Tim, uh, and I think then it was upper junior three and upper junior four, something like wow. that. Long, long, long gone now those days. But yeah, I had Mr. Mayo for two years. What a story! Uh, yeah. Let's go back uh, a few years prior then. So your sort of football career. So I've I found. And unfortunately, I haven't got a video player anymore, so I couldn't extract it. However, there is a bit of Warner Home video footage that shows you playing for Avon Athletic in my brother's team, which I think is two years higher um, yeah. than than your age group. And I remember you being announced as player of the tournament in a police six side tournament. So, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah, you were always playing a couple of years above. So Avon Athletic, is that sort of where you were up until you got got called up for Bristol City in the academy? Yeah, pretty much. I think, um, I mean, there, there are two aspects there. Avon Athletic was sort of under sevens, under eights. You know, it was a kind of local team and and there were lots around at that time. Uh, at that time, Hannum, Bocco, um, you know, St. Nicholas, all, all those sorts of, uh, all those sorts of teams. So I was with Avon from, from an early age, seven and eight and, and playing games. And then, um, sort of every year, the Kingswood Police organised a, a football tournament over, I think it was like a six-week period. And the idea was during the day and in the evenings, you know, during the school holidays, you kind of got the kids off the streets and playing football in fantastic tournament, fantastic idea. Um, I think we must have entered a team in that tournament um, at that point. I think we won it. And, and again, every year, probably for three or four years, it was something that we always looked forward to, you know, almost, I think it was the summer holidays and you just had six weeks of football and some days you wouldn't play, but you'd go and watch other teams that were in your sort of pool or, or league and and then you'd wait until the evening and that'd be your game. And it was, yeah, just fantastic times. When I don't think now that they do it, but it was a great initiative from from the local police again to to get young lads playing football and and um, get them off the streets. It was, it was fantastic. So that's yeah. probably where it all started, really, yeah. 
And was there any ever any sort of nervousness or apprehension from your from your parents to send you up a couple of years, you know, in terms of playing with older older lads? No, I think in in again, probably thinking back now, you know, if anybody phoned up my dad and said, Could Matt come and play? I, I just he'd just say, Yeah, I think you'd want to play, you know, whoever that was for. And I remember playing for different teams sometimes, you know, which you could do then. You could go and I, I played for down end rangers, I think, in in one particularly A's group because that was on a different day to, to Avon and you know then I, I had a phone call from say Avon Athletic a year up or two years up you know was Matt available we've got a tournament this Sunday and like you do now you know through the summer all, all the young kids are playing in summer tournaments and I think that's fantastic and it was no different back then you know if, if somebody had a tournament and, and my particular age group wasn't in it and I had a phone call then then my dad got me there and probably stayed all day and watched, you know, very supportive and, and, you know, just what, what I need to play football and enjoy it. So I was, I was playing every, every tournament I could really. Yeah. At what point, what age did you get called up to the Bristol city Academy? Well, again, probably when I was about seven or eight, I remember playing over the field in Longmore green, uh, home to Longmore green sports now in um, where they've been forever. And, and a guy called Frank Jacobs, who was, um, with uh well he wasn't with Bristol City at the time but he was over the field playing with his two sons and I got asked you know come and come and have a game with us so I did and that went on I think for a few weeks and um it's a long game then, yeah <laughs> <laughs> well it was with Frank if you turned up at four o'clock you know you you played into the dark that was for sure you didn't go home at seven you went on till nine half past nine and yeah. and that's how Frank was completely completely driven and it turned out that my dad actually played with with Frank Jacobs when they were younger so when he came to to get me one night I think Frank had said to my dad that they, they were starting a, a project from the FA based at Redwood Lodge in Bristol um, sponsored by British Aerospace so it was a it was a kind of independent FA centre of excellence that it was a pilot um, and they were doing two or three around the country. And would I like to go for some extra sort of training two or three nights a week? So my dad said, yeah, yeah, it sounds OK, bring him up. So it started off like that, really. And it was quite an independent centre. And a lot of players like Raphael Burke and Andy Johnson were, were three or four years older than me. But there was a lot of, you know, high, high quality players in them days who went off to different professional clubs. And after about two years of that pilot scheme, Bristol City effectively, I think, bought out that independent centre. It was, it was something that the FA had piloted, but they weren't going to roll out any further, and kind of ended the sponsorship or ended the pilot scheme. And I'm not sure how that all, all happened, but effectively, Bristol City then took on that group of young players, and I think it was the year. I remember Jimmy Lumsden and Alan Crawford and. And um, coaches like that coming to watch the centre, and that was the kind of first team coaching staff at that point. So we kind of knew then we were going to be under the banner of Bristol City, and therefore in their training kit, and it and it kind of switched. So that was probably when I was around ten or eleven, something like that. I think that happened. Okay. So um, yeah, it kind of got took over from from the FA. Before we venture more into the Bristol City chat, um, the, one of the one of the reactions. Um, on Twitter was uh, someone posted uh, a newspaper article um, uh, Sean Cridge 
was his name. And it was from 1995, and it was Longwell Green Sports winning the Avon Premier Combination Cup. Okay, okay, and I yeah. think the reason that Sean posted it, because it's the headline was Sean's Cridge Hat-Trick. Um, and obviously, uh, John Gibbs was the manager, and I think yeah, John's yeah. involved with Longwell Green Sports. So quite uh, an affinity with Longwell Green Sports for you. Yeah, no, again, I, I grew up there, and, um, you know, I think from about the age of 15, 16, I was, I was over the field watching football and probably got to know John Gibbs and, and the, the guys that were there around that sort of age group. And, again, the rules were slightly different then, so I could I could actually... I was playing for Bristol City Schoolboys at 15, 16, but I was in Lumwell Green's first team as well, you know, when I could. Um, and I remember that. I mean, we had such a successful group of, of players there, we, you know, at that level of the game with the Bristol Premier or the County League as well. And we went on to win that Bristol Premier Cup. It was a great evening, I think, at Cribs Causeway. And um, yeah, fantastic memories there. I still keep in touch with, with John. Um and a lot of the a lot of the guys that's still involved at the football club there, and, and they've done they've done fantastic over recent seasons with some great investment in the facilities that they've got there. So um, very fond memories of, of Longmore Green, yeah. Yeah, and I, I noticed that yeah they they've opened their, effectively their new ground if you like um, this yeah. year. So yeah, no, it's fantastic. I had a walk around not not too long ago, a few weeks back, and, and just seen it for the first time. I think it's a an unbelievable facility now for, for that area that, that the young players as well as the senior team can enjoy and um, fantastic piece of work from John and, and the rest of the, the staff down there and the rest of the supporters that have made that possible. So brilliant. Excellent. Okay, Jack, back to Bristol City then. So you uh, you broke through into the first team squad and I, I from my recollection, did you play a couple of games as well? Was it pre-season friendly? So I remember you putting on a city shirt and playing at Ashton Gate for sure. Yeah, no, I did. I think my, um, I actually still have the bottle of champagne that I got from <laughs> the pre-season friendly against Borussia Mönchengladbach. There we go. Um, I knew you played. Yeah, I got about 20 minutes and, and I think it was um, John Ward at the time put me on. I think it was John, but yeah, Borussia Mönchengladbach, I've still got the bottle of champagne because that was probably my only claim to fame in terms of playing for the first team. I, and I got involved quite a bit with John Ward and when he was manager, we had a squad of about 20 players and being involved in the Bournemouth FA Cup game away. I remember that one. And then um, going back probably to when I was 15 or just under 15, Russell Osman was the manager at that point. And I remember playing up at um, Bristol Grammar School playing fields for our under 15s and being pulled to the side afterwards to say by, by Pete Coleman, who I think is still at the club now to say if you were actually 15, then you would have been in the first team squad today, along with another player called Mike, Michael Vaines, I think. But because we were still 14, you weren't legally allowed to do it. So, oh, wow. and I'm not saying, you know, we, we were ready for that. I think it was just Russell and, and the whole momentum at the football club at that time was to really drive, you know, youth development and young players. And and there was going to be a, that there was an opportunity and a, and a willing to, to try and put myself and Michael into the group, the first team group to to showcase, I guess, that, that that's what we want to do here at the football club. So there, there were moments, you know, like that, which again, fond, fond memories. And um, yeah, Bruce and Munch and Gladback 
yeah, it was an interesting evening. That, so there's not many Bristol City players that can say they played against Borussia Mönchengladbach. So I think you're, uh, you know, you're on your own in that case. Well, with the other players that played in that in that game, who who was in the City team then? Can you remember who was the sort of the captain striker? I just remember, I remember Rob Edwards. He was he was on the field when I came on, and I got about twenty minutes, twenty five minutes. Um, <clears throat> was that left remember, midfield or left back? I think I, I think I came on in the middle of midfield. Yeah, I think I came on in the middle of midfield, and, and I remember there was a free kick for us on the edge of the box, and and I, I for some reason I was in and around it. I wasn't I wasn't ready to take a free kick, and somebody took it and rolled it to me, and it was almost like what do I do? You know, somebody's just rolled me the ball across the eighteen yard box. Um, against Munch and Gladbach, I think we were three 0 down. And I just got caught in two minds, you know, what do I hit it? I can't believe I'm going to get a shot here at goal, you know, and that sort of thing. And I ended up in two minds, sort of chipping it straight into the keeper's hands. And I just remember Rob Rob Edwards saying something to me. He said, don't worry, Matt, if, if that one went in, we're all on your back, you know, we'll be over the yeah. moon. As if to say, you know, n- never mind, that's, <laughs> that's not very good. But um, I remember Rob being on the pitch in... Um, yeah, it was quite a moment. Quite a moment. Yeah, Rob's been on. Uh, we did a so a part of the other podcast, Robin's Reunited. I get two ex players back together. Yeah, um, and we did one with Rob Edwards and Gary Hours. Two okay, um, yeah, two so such consistent footballers. You always knew you were going to get a performance out of those two. So yeah, great great memories around your departure from Bristol City. What what happened there? What was the uh, what was the, the the thought process behind that? Yeah, I mean, I did my uh, apprenticeship and, and did that for two years. And then Joe Jordan was the manager. And I remember not being offered a professional contract towards the end of the, the second year. And, and Joe Joe then had left a couple of weeks later and John Ward had come in and there was a different view. I was offered a professional contract and, and that was, you know, fantastic. And I did my first year under John. And effectively, we were in League One, what is League One now. We also went on loan to Weymouth that year. And and it was a d- double whammy. We had a great sort of season or six months with Weymouth, winning the um, Southern League Premier Division there. And also Bristol City getting promotion into, into what is, you know, the championship. So that was a good year. And, and then I was offered another professional contract for one year. Um just after you know going into the sort of under 20 season what would be mm. and I think the difference between those two years as a pro was in that first year we had a squad of about 20 players you know and you were always as a young player with with Tommy Doherty and, and one or two others you were always in and around it you know you were always training with the first team and and the dynamic shifted a little bit in that second year where we had a lot of players coming in we had a change of manager with, with Benny Lennartson um, there was probably twice as many professional players. You know, I went from being number 20 to being number 42, I think, on, on the squad list. It was really, really difficult. I would also say I wasn't, you know, of, of the level required. You know, I'm not I'm not daft and reflecting back on it, it. It was it was tough, but I probably just wasn't ready at that, at that period for that level of the game. So I'd, I'd had an offer from um, Weymouth to, to, to go there sort of six months into my second year as a pro and I'd also had an offer from effectively Dave Burnside and Paul Taylor who was running the community department at the time to go and work for them and I was really keen on coaching probably more so than playing 
at that time, you know, where I just I just couldn't get in and around the first team. So I, I took the opportunity to go back to Weymouth and and effectively play in the what would now be probably the conference south and have a full-time job with the academy and, and the community department at Bristol City. So I stayed with the football club, but not as a player. And I played for Weymouth and I coached during the day in schools and after schools and holiday clubs. And I kind of did, you know, did my coaching badges at that age. And I was really, really looking forward to a coaching career then rather than a, than a playing career, which became more reality. Yeah. yeah. And, and what, what an interesting path because, you know, I don't know, I haven't heard many stories like that before where you get into coaching and into the academy setup so young. Again, I, I, and I don't know why, but I, from an age of, I think I did my B license when I was about 17, 18. Oh, wow. So um, really, really early to start thinking about that. Really early. I was still an apprentice and you always did your FA level two coaching qualification in, in as you were an apprentice. And we all did that, you know, all, all of my age group at, at, at Bristol City then. But then I went and did my own sort of B license down in um, uh, Somerset with, with Ian Tinknell and Pete Amos, who, who were both at the club. And I did my B license. And by the time I was 18, I was, you know, qualified and I was doing some doing some work, which I really enjoyed. And and again, I that second year as a pro, I had six months to go. I think the chairman was Scott Davison at the time. And I, I managed to agree with Scott and Benny to a certain degree that it's probably best if I move on. And, you know, I've got an offer from Weymouth, but mm-hmm. I want to coach for the football club and work with young players. And, and I've got a real passion to do that so we made an amicable sort of agreement and yeah that's kind of how I left really and and yeah it was an interesting period yeah I've got an account of of um, someone who you helped um actually they put him for Longwell Green Sports at the time so it's Adam Thurston one of the first guys that coached me age nine including a lot of one-to-one work because I was struggling with an unknown injury the exercise was to blindfold me and I had to army walk on the spot for a period of time. And by the time he took the blindfold off, I'd gone on half spins and was facing in the wrong direction. And he said, right, you've got a pelvis problem. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was, uh, that was class. And, and actually the Thurston family, you you'll be aware, uh, Jane Thurston, you worked yep. with in the, uh, the, the PSF shop at the bottom of Ellicombe Road. Uh, Professional Sport and Fitness, I think that stands for. Um, Just let's touch on that very quickly because you set that up. um, Again, forward thinking, setting up your own shop as well as having the coaching going on as well. Yeah, again, I I guess once I'd left Bristol City and and I, I, as a player, I I did the non-league circuit for for quite a few years playing football, a couple of different clubs. But I I always sort of had that coaching passion and and sport, fitness, um, personal training, and probably between the age of 20 and probably late 20s, 28, 29, I'd I, I set my own sort of personal training and sports coaching business up um, with, with the local gym as well, which was Fitness First in Longwell Green. I, I was based there doing personal training, but I also had a, had a business partner, Jason Moore, who's still got professional sport and fitness today, and we, we, um, we developed that company, which again, was was unique in the fact that sort of downstairs you had the sports shop that sold pretty much everything and our, our niche was sports clubs in schools in universities and and kicking out um organizations and teams like that but upstairs in the offices was was the sort of base of where we would then operate as many as 40 or 50 
coaches to go into the community and not just coach football but but other sports as well and and that was a busy period and and probably yeah that was early 20s but again I probably did three or four other things trying to search I think for for what I wanted to do and reflecting back I wasn't going to be a footballer so what what do I do now you know ever ever since the age of seven or eight I want to be a footballer so I think from the age of 20 to late 20s 30 I was I was searching for what I wanted to do and I think the PSF and the shopping sports coaching personal training was all part of me searching for that yeah for that um passion really absolutely so yeah, as you say a professional f- footballer with Bristol City went on to play for Weymouth Yeovil Bath City Dorchester Mangotsfield and Yate Town when did you actually hang up the the 11 aside boots <laughs> I was probably around or, if, or are they still not hung up Matt no nah, they're hung up <laughs> well and truly hung up I've, all I've got now is a pair of slippers um, no, no, around probably 30, 31. Again, okay. I, I, those clubs and again, some great times. I think Western Supermare as well with, with Tony Ricketts was, was, was interesting. Good, good time. I, I went to Team Bath as well, which was probably the next stage of my career, really, from the age of 30. And that was kind of during the day, training and playing. And I actually had a dual role there where I set up effectively an apprenticeship scheme at Team Bath for sort of 16 to 19 year olds so from the age of 30 I was kind of there really and and yeah that that was probably the last year I I really played for Team Bath and before I had a couple of cameo roles I think back at Longwell Green so if ever Johnny Gibbs phones me up I'll probably get out the red carpet get your boots on yeah, yeah, fantastic. Um, so you mentioned Team Bath there, and I understand it was in October of 2013 when you left Team Bath to become academy manager at Southampton. Is that link? Because I don't know how many people know this, and it was new to me, that Southampton, obviously the academy, you've got a certain amount of radius which you can recruit from. And because they're on the coast, they're at a disadvantage. So they were allowed to set up another academy and they set up in Bath so was is that where the link came from from you team Bath to Southampton yeah pretty much I think it's quite historic so I think they've had a centre there at Bath for about 25 30 years you know um and they've had a base their clubs had a base there ever since pretty much the, the kind of again the dynamics changed a little bit the age groups have changed and it's not as recognized as it was in the younger age groups but there's still a, an area there which um, Southampton as a club have been really active on in, in recent years. But yeah, it's quite a, an historic sort of relationship pretty much. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. So down to Southampton, obviously you've spent a lot of time in Weymouth, so you've obviously got an affinity with the South Coast. Yeah, yeah. Um, so talk to us about that initial role as academy manager at Southampton, you know, stooped in history. Southampton Academy mm. you can talk about players like Gareth Bale, Theo, Theo Walcott, Oxley Chamberlain. I'm sure there's m- many, many more, um, and and the current crop as well, which we'll come on to. But that initial role at Southampton, how did you find it, and did you adapt well? Yeah, again, I think I was at Team Bath. I was full time, and um, I still had an interest in the sports shop at that point. But Matt Crocker, who was the academy manager at Southampton then, had decided that. They wanted a full-time person based at Bath and try and grow the programme a little bit. So that was in around 2011. And I basically stayed at Bath University, but transferred from Team Bath to Southampton. It was an employee of Southampton. And for for two years, I looked after the Bath Centre. Then Matt 
uh, was offered a, a role at the, F, the FA as head of international development teams. And I was given the opportunity by Les Reed then, who was effectively the executive director of football at Southampton, to come to Southampton and for an interim period run the academy, see how it got on, see how, see how it fitted. And that went for about nine months. And I was effectively then offered the role full time in two, late 2013. So, um, yeah, pretty much for the last nine years, I've, I've been based here in Southampton. We, we've moved the family to, to just outside Salisbury. It's still about an hour to get home, so I can go and see mum and dad, you know, not not, not too far away. Um, but yeah, that, that's kind of how it came about, really. And, and now Matt is back, is is my boss again, is, is the director of football here. So got a good relationship with Matt, um, who I've known for, for a long, long time. Awesome. So that journey over the last sort of eight, nine years then to becoming director of, of Southampton Football Academy, how has how that, that escalated through? Um, has there been any uh, memorable moments within within that time? Yeah, for sure. I mean, whenever you get, I think when you're in these types of roles in youth development and, you know, you, you're in and around youth programmes, ultimately you're trying to get lads into the first team. Um, we, we've had, you know, numerous debuts and, and lads who are, you know, consistently part of the first team squad. So th- those are the moments that you really, really wish for and look forward to and when a player runs out and makes their debut this this an academy graduate then that that's that's what you're here for and but I would also say when you see young lads leave here it, you know that's a difficult decision to make and to tell a young player if they've been here for eight years or that they're not gonna have a future here but then when you see them you know run out for another football club professional football club brilliant you know you wish them well and, and I think Probably coming back from my my childhood, my experience, you know, when you don't quite make it and you see other lads being successful in other walks of life, not just football, um, that's that's really good as well. And quite I'm quite passionate about that. And, and one thing we're trying to do here is is just keep improving our life care program because yeah, for, for seeing them run out for the first thing is fantastic. But if you see them get a scholarship in the US or you see them starting their own business. And, and again, football's not worked out for them, but but you wish them well in any walk of life. And I think those are the nice moments, you, you know, you get to see. Yeah, I think that's really important. What you've touched on there is having that, not even a backup plan, but also that that acumen to be able to still have roles after football, whether it's in football or in business, setting up your own business. You know, look at Joe Bunnell, for example. Yeah. He, he was always academic and soon as soon as football finished for him, he's setting up his own estate agent. So yeah. Yeah, lo- lots of good examples there. And I guess that's part of the academy setup, isn't it, is providing that opportunity. Yeah, and no, I think we've got a duty to do that. And, and not just Southampton or all clubs, you know, we have these young players in for, for quite a few hours now each week in there's a big commitment from, from the players, the families, their siblings, you know, they have to come in with the parents and watch training in the rain, and you know, two or three nights a week. So you've got, a, I think you, you have a duty to make sure they're looked after, whether it's, you know, with, with a professional contract or if unfortunately you have to release these young players that you still have an aftercare programme that, that sees them okay as best you possibly can. So we're, Again, I'm very passionate about that, probably more so from my own personal experience um, when, I, when I went through it, you know. 
Yeah. I saw an article um, back at the beginning of January. Southampton's Academy Director Matt Hale described a proud night for the club as 11 graduates were included in Ralph's, I won't say the name, Ralph Hassan-Hootles matchday squad against Liverpool. Um, forming more than half of the 20-man squad, which defeated Liverpool as well, thanks to the solitary Danny Ings goal. And there's a list of players there, including Theo Walcott and James Price. Um, what, an, what a proud achievement, not only for, for you, but the, the Southampton Academy setup. Yeah, again, I think there, there are players there that it, it were at Southampton sort of, you know, 10, 15 years ago. There, there were players in that squad that have been with us two or three seasons. Um, some have been through the pathway, you know, longer than others. It was a real mix. And, um, you know, again, some are with us now, some aren't. But everybody's got a part to play in putting one of those lads out on the pitch, whether that's the minibus driver, whether that's the the chef in the canteen, the, the, even the cleaners. You know, they they know the players, they know the young the young players here, and they've all got a part to play. And um, I think that'll be the same in, in any football club as well. It's it's not just the coaching staff now. There's a whole team of staff around these young players that, that give them every possible opportunity to be successful. So yeah, like I said, a very proud moment for everybody. Brilliant. Just explain for us um, who don't know the full runnings of an academy. What does like a, a a week look like for you? Are you watching a lot of games? Are you? Is there a lot of administrative work to do? What does a, a week look like for you? I think the interesting thing about my role and what keeps me interested is the diversity in it. You know, every every day you come in and there's something different. Um, so I've gone from probably doing my coaching badges to not coaching at all. Um, there's a lot of admin, but there's more meetings. There's more, uh, you know, dealing with agents. Um, sometimes you, you know, you're dealing with parents on positive things, not so positive things. You've got to be across budget. You know, you're making some financial decisions. Um, you're, you're managing a, a team of staff. We've probably got anywhere between 80 and 100 staff within the academy, most full-time. You've got so many different departments, which every time you make a decision, you know, it affects different departments, whether it's sports science, medicine. Um, so you'll be chairing meetings around particular age groups. I certainly go and watch our B team or under 18s and under 16s um, predominantly. But I'll also, um, um, tonight, we should have an under 15s game, so I'm, I'm going to be going to that one. You know, you'll get around as many of the games as you possibly can. Uh, um, training here today we've got the under 15s, 16s, 18s and B team training so if you get half an hour you might pop out and watch a little bit of training or speak to the staff and it, it just changes you know and that's without things that pop up here and there you know you, mm. you, you might have a welfare situation you, you might have you know, a call from HR to, to talk about a staff member who's joining us that needs a different contract or something Right. It's literally, you know, so diverse. I, I can only describe it as a bit of a miniature sort of CEO type role where you're aware of a lot of things, but, you you, you know, you you would struggle to be on the detail of everything, if, if I'm honest. Fantastic. You mentioned, yeah, no, it certainly sounds it. Um, you mentioned the B team there. Obviously, at Bristol City, we've got the first team under 23s, under 18s. Where does the B team sort of fit fit in? Yeah, I mean, the B team for, for us sort of 18 months ago, we rebranded it from the under 23s. It's effectively ah, right. still that group, but they play exactly like the first team. Okay. So uh, a change in our sort of philosophy has been that really over the last 18 months that previously our under 23s have always played the same way 
as our under 11s. Um, our under 23s or B team at the moment are effectively part two of the first team. And those lads are learning a very, what I would call a very bespoke way of playing under, under Ralph. And when those players go up and train with the first team, which is quite regularly, Ralph needs them to understand exactly how he wants to defend and how he wants to keep possession of the ball, how our set pieces work and the language that he uses, which, which is, again, very, very different in terms of almost code names that, you know, our young players under 23, if they're asked to go up in, and, and train with the first team, need to understand what certain trigger words mean. So, so we've effectively put that vocabulary into our B team as well. And subsequently this season, some of those behaviours and traits we're, we're now putting into our under-18s as well. So there's a gradual sort of shift just to that philosophy, really. So so that's where the B team sits. Yeah, that, and that, that's fascinating as well, because if you're playing a certain way in the first team, you want that to go through the whole DNA of the football club, I would think. Well, I think it becomes more and more important as, as they get closer to the first team. So certainly in that professional phase of under-17s to B team, where they're full-time, they're in the club most days you can get that level of work into the young players. Mm. I think probably below that, there are a lot of other factors to consider, like growth and maturation, you know, like tactical understanding, which perhaps aren't quite ready yet to, to take on that level of, of detail. Mm. Um, and they're not doing the number of hours that those full-time players are doing. So you, you've got a little bit of a split there, but um, certainly the behaviours and the language is something that we, we're trying to instill in our professional phase very similar to the first team yeah so so i one of my robin's reunited episodes was with dave horseman and john clayton and we'll come back to dave in a moment um and i was i was saying that back when you were at bristol city for example there was the reserve team and yeah. you as a, when you're playing the reserves you would be playing against premier league reserve teams who could have the stars in there. I think Joe said he played in a reserve game against West Ham and played against Trevor Sinclair, Palo de Canio, all yeah. sorts. How, yeah. how, that doesn't happen anymore. You've got the under 23s or the B team. Um, and <coughs> another example where, for example, um, Max O'Leary, who's the, 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 the sub goalkeeper at the moment for Bristol city. unless we had um, a cup game or um, you know, Carabao Cup, FA Cup game. He wasn't getting a game. He, he finally got his opportunity and took took the number one jersey. But where I'm going with this is how do you how do you replicate those opportunities that that players like yourself would have had playing in a reserve team? Yeah, and and I you know again that the I think it was the Avon Combination League. I think on a Wednesday that we were in something like that. And um, again, some of the players that you played against. You know, I remember playing against the Canio. Um, it, it West Ham, Chris Hewton at it, it Tottenham in, and just Edinburgh and some of those players, Tottenham. The, the game I, I recall at Tottenham, uh, John Gorman was was the sort of reserve team coach then. And their side was unbelievable at, the, at that time. And I think Darren Anderton, you know, play, players like that, and you did, you, you were playing against, at 17, 18, you were playing against Premier League players. Some of your yeah. idols as well. <laughs> some of your idols, yeah. Yeah, no, and, and really, really you know, competitive experience, you know, difficult challenges that that um, are probably a, a little bit rarer today. You know, I've got to be careful because I'm a big advocate of, of the youth system in this country. But I think one of the things we could improve on is trying to 
replicate those experiences, you know, of getting first team players into that under 23s program yeah. a little bit more so that the young players play play with them as well, you know, because they're learning a lot by by playing with them. You know, mm. I, I played alongside, you know, your Mark Shell, your Scott Pattersons and Gary Owers and, and all those when they dropped into the the, the reserve team for, for a game or two. And you, you learn so much from them as you would playing against a Decanio or, or Darren Anderton or somebody like that. So, yeah. And I guess that's a, probably a, a benefit of calling it the B team versus the under 23s because it's almost could be taken as a little bit of a, not a punishment, but a, yeah, you go and, go and play with the under 23s sort of thing, not as opposed to the reserves. Yeah, well, the idea is that, you know, we get those first team players drop down for match minutes or game time when they need to. Um, and and you know, that's been difficult as well because of the schedules. In, and if the first team have got a game on Sunday and you're playing Friday, they might not want to risk too many players to play in it in case they need them for the Sunday. So mm. you've got to be lucky with the schedule as well. But but certainly, yeah, get going back to playing with some of those players. It was it was an invaluable experience. Yeah. OK, um, we'll just finish off. We've got um, a number of links still. Bristol City with Southampton, obviously yourself. Um, but add to that Ellis Wilmot, who was an academy yeah. player, uh, Dave Horseman, um, and Alex Ball, who's now come back into the Bristol City fold, and is actually, you know, was second in command for some time this season, whilst Nigel Pearson was off with COVID, and he's done really well. And um, we'll come on to to Lewis Carey in a second, but Alex Ball, he's in the he's in the setup now with Nigel Pearson and involved on a match day. What an achievement for him! Fantastic again, Alex. I, I you know I grew up with pretty much played with. He's done fantastic well with his coaching career, and, and he was with us for a while in our academy, and done great for us. You know, really methodical, highly organised coach, um, and and he you know he's got a lot of respect for for what he's done and what he's doing now at, at Bristol City. And um, again, yeah, I think you know, he's got a great opportunity there, which he which he's doing really really well with. Lewis Carey, obviously, uh, record appearance holder for Bristol City. In the Southampton Academy, but currently uh, seconded into Ralph Hassenhutel's coaching staff. What's what's Lewis up to? Your research is pretty good, Patch. I've got to be honest. Thanks, mate. Yeah, yeah. So Lewis is exactly that. He he's been with us in the academy for a few seasons. Um, he started with our effectively under 16s in assisting Rob Edwards. Rob was with us as well. Rob's gone on to the Welsh uh, national team now. In Lewis. Uh, took the 16s end then he was with our under 18s for a bit and then we this season we've given him sort of 12 months with Ralph where he's kind of learning again that language and that way of playing and coaching and training and with the with the potential then to come back into the academy and bring that knowledge and experience of the first team back to our young players and give them the the tools and the lessons that they need you know and he can now give them that you know firsthand that this is what you're going to have to be like when you go up and train with the first team because I've just seen a year of it. Mm. So that's the kind of ideology around that. And um, yeah, Lewis has done done great for us and working really, really well with the first team at the moment. Yeah, lovely bloke. Um, okay, Matt, it's been too long, quite frankly, since we spoke. Uh, and it's been an absolute dream to catch up with you. So big thank you um, for coming on the podcast and telling us what you've been up to for the last 20 years and, and beyond that, um, hopefully you've enjoyed it. And uh, there's so many people who, as I said, the reaction to getting you on, so many people who know you um, from living in living in and around Longwell Green. And it's good to hear you're coming back as well. So you come back to see sports now and again. 
Yeah, no, definitely. I'll be back. I was back in Bristol actually the weekend, just gone with, with some friends in, um, and saw the family. So I'm back is, you know, every couple of weeks or as often as I can for sure. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. But thanks Good for having stuff. me on. Thanks, Patch. No, thank you so much. And um, for those who haven't listened before, do check out our Robins Reunited episodes. Uh, recently had Wayne Allison and Junior Bent. Uh, which was um, <laughs> hilarious, quite frankly. Um, and also the Ashton Gate 8, six of the Ashton Gate 8 were, were on um, over that uh, 40th anniversary weekend and uh, with more to come soon. So thank you again, Matt, and we'll be back soon. Take care, everyone. <laughs>